I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the new series of History Rage, because what the world needs is another podcast by two middle-aged history nerds. But based on the listener figures from Series 1, turns out that's exactly what the world needs. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for coming back. I'm public historian Paul Bavel, and returning to ride the rage train again is my ever-loyal co-host, fellow historian, and connoisseur of ancient cheese, Kyle Glover. Yes, hello. We're back. And you know what this means? We got more seasons than Firefly. Result. Excellent. So who have we got this week? So what we've got this week, kicking off the new season, we have a simmering rage that has been bubbling for a number of months now. I've really been looking forward to this one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the manager of special collections for Leeds Central Libraries, Rianne Isaac. Rianne, welcome to History Rage. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. You're welcome. Getting angry? I've been very angry today. I've been building it all up just for this podcast. Excellent. Excellent. That's exactly what we're looking for. So before we unleash that torrent of rage, tell us, Rianne, tell us a little bit about yourself, your library, and and the frankly fascinating collection of artefacts that you're the hoarder of. So like you said, I manage our special collections at Leeds Central Library. And Leeds Central Library is the public library for the city, and it holds hundreds of thousands of books but my background I'm a background in early modern and medieval literature and I'm also a qualified archivist so that means I just like old stuff and this is just a really great job really so the main thing is to try and get more people in to come and see our collections but also it's like a massive responsibility that we've got to preserve these really amazing artifacts for all future generations as well. Yeah so I mean, I know we've got a bit of this coming on a little later on, but you can just give us kind of like one example of the sort of historic document or artefact that, that you're in charge of. Our, our collections date back to around the 15th century. So that wow. includes things like we've got a 1497 edition of the Nuremberg Chronicle. And that's one of the most lavishly illustrated books of the period. But it goes through to Civil War pamphlets botanical books, natural history books, just anything you could possibly imagine. We have got something in our collection that fits in with any research topic or theme. It really is a massive just treasure trove, really. And yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. don't realise that libraries have these sort of collections. Yeah, and yeah, and it's a local library. I mean, you're not talking, we're not talking the Bodleian Library here, are we? We are, we are talking about the just central library of the city of Leeds. Yeah, so you can just walk in, ask for something, and we'll bring it out to you. It's fantastic. Yeah, sounds amazing. That's wonderful. 
So covering there the thing that quite clearly, you know, you you love what you do. What we're about a history rage is not you loving what you do, but you hating what everybody else does. So Rianne, would you please tell us what's the one thing you wish people would just stop believing, would just get over, would just let go of? Go. So the one thing I get so annoyed about is that every time I do a workshop or an event, I can guarantee that a visitor will ask me, shouldn't you be wearing white gloves? And the answer uh, is no. Every <laughs> and, single time, yes. Time. Every time. And I just wait for it. I just wait. And someone just gives me one of those looks and they're kind of building up and they ask me. And But we're just so used to seeing people on TV, on films, just pulling on their pristine white gloves before they touch, you know, this very historic item. And it's just it's just wrong. And it gets me really mad because, well, there's lots of reasons. But the first thing, there's just an assumption that we don't have a clue what we're on about and that we're just careless. <laughs> yeah. And we're just like, who are these idiots running this library, <laughs> touching things? You're just archivists and yeah, document actually, curators. What the hell do you know? Yeah, yeah. I saw the telly the other night. What do you know? Yeah, exactly. But I think even bigger than that, it's just this idea that there's all these rules and barriers and that how dare we let the members of the public with their dirty hands come into the library and touch our precious, precious books. And it's just really just not the case. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, like oils and dirt do cause damage to books. Um, but the idea is that gloves like create this magical barrier that protects the books. And also, it looks really good on TV, you know, especially <laughs> yeah. with like a really nice, dramatic kind of revealing segment. The white gloves come on, don't they? And everyone gets mm-hmm. excited. And it just becomes a bit of a shorthand, doesn't it, on TV, that, oh, this yeah. is some really yeah. important stuff that's going on. And it means that it frees up the presenters to talk about other things. They don't have to go into detail about why, you know, this book is important. The white gloves say it all. Say it's important. Yeah, yeah this is worth mm-hmm. preserving. Visual yeah. shorthand. Okay. Exactly. But how long do you think people have been using white gloves for? I don't know. Well, according to you, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something that's really, really recent. It's only like the past 20 years that we see this kind of white glove phenomenon where you see really? it on TV. Mm. It's such a, yeah, a really recent thing. And there's this amazing story. I'm going to have to read it out, which I found on the British Library blog. And it's about a lady in the Middle Ages who happily wore clean white gloves on her hands as if she liked cleanness and said that she did so lest she mark the books from which she often and diligently read the Holy Scripture. But when she heard from one of the fathers that because of such cleanness, which carried before it a certain extravagance, she would suffer purgatory and she at once abandoned them. So there's historical precedence here, but we promise that we won't send you to purgatory. but it is a really recent thing so it's a bit of a mixture thing why i'm so mad about it first of all it just isn't scientifically correct it annoys me because people think they can do my job better than i can do it 
And yeah, it just creates this barrier, which we don't want barriers. We want people to come in, enjoy the books and not think there's all these really strict rules that we're kind of enforcing on people. Yeah. Men- mentioning no British libraries. No, definitely no yeah. British yeah. libraries. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> They're fine. They were nice to me last time I went. So um, we've touched on this a little bit during your segment, but why do people on television and films and that kind of thing wear white gloves? Is it just that visual shorthand? Was there any actual reason why you would wear white gloves when handling historical artefacts? Well, I have to say there is a caveat here. Like every good rule, there's lots of exceptions. And so you would (laughs) wear gloves if you're handling photographs, negatives, 3D objects like museum artefacts. And also, most importantly, if you're handling a book that may contain toxins, oh gosh, there's all sorts of like poisons and things that might be on a book, like arsenic. In that case, you know, the rare book might kill you. Yes. So it's more important for you to wear gloves in those circumstances. Yeah. But a lot of the time, it's because they just want to make it seem dramatic, theatrical. And yeah, and the, a lot of people do believe that this is how you should handle rare books. And somewhere like the British Library on TV, if they don't wear white gloves, they get so many complaints afterwards that sometimes it's just not even worth not doing it. That's why I said every single time, because as soon as you see it on television, you know the comment section will be full of, why aren't you wearing white gloves? Yeah. Yeah, they destroyed the Magna Carta. Still got like 20 copies of it. Yeah. Like, like We've the got stairs. Thought over them, watching them. What are you doing with my manuscript? <laughs> so yes, you you as librarians, no, not just yourself, but the British Library and everybody else that handles historic documents. How how come you've let it get this far? Surely, as one, you could go. No, no, we're not wearing not... your damn gloves, and you, yeah, you have the complaints. Not today. Well, we don't at all. So we just mm. have a clean hand policy. So, and that is just what we say across the board. And because it's just much better for the books. Yeah, they actually make the problem worse. Yes. Um, So it's really a couple of questions for you to answer in this segment then. is is What sort of damage do white gloves do or do ordinary hands do? And and how should a historic document be handled? So the idea is that white gloves protect books from oil and dirt. But this is really a flawed argument. So white gloves are just as likely to transfer dirt from around you onto the books. And in fact, they're really absorbent. So if you think about if you touch your nose or in this day and age, if you've been in about with your mask, you're much more likely to pick up dirt and grime on white gloves than just your your bare hands. And also white gloves make your hands really hot and sweaty and the sweat just easily just seeps through the cotton gloves. So again, makes it so much easier to pick up dirt and grime and just put them onto the pages. And there's this belief that your bare hands can chemically damage pages of books. And actually, there's no real scientific evidence that that actually happens at all. Yeah. And also, it's quite a dangerous myth having this thing where, oh, if you put on these magic white gloves, there's no way you can cause damage. And it's just mm. not true because you lose all the kind of sense of feeling in your hands. And I always say to people, try and put your woolly gloves on at home and try and read a book. 
it's a complete nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and mis- you know, mishandling books is the worst, you know, that's how you really damage them. And you're much more likely to tear a page or even drop the book completely wearing gloves. And even just like catching on little kind of cracks on the pages or, you know, because they're so absorbent and you can pick up pigments and fragments off the pages. So really, you can do an awful lot of damage wearing white gloves. And I always think, you know, these books have been handled by people for hundreds of years, you know, and now they're in special collections. You know, they're not going to be handled as much. So the risk of damaging them with just your kind of bare hands to actually wearing gloves is completely different, really. Yeah, so we just have this clean hand policy. So it's, of course, you've got to be really careful and, you know, turn pages carefully and have book rests and book supports and all that kind of thing we supervise and give people guidance on, but definitely not white gloves. (laughs) Treat them like they're a historic artefact, but not with giant not with kid gloves in yeah. fact yeah, it, yeah. Treat them respectfully, like, anything. like i even tried some on and i was just trying to like use a keyboard or do it you can't do anything with gloves it's such a no. you know really difficult and also which i think you guys would really appreciate is that there's a real risk to the actual research experience and like actually being able to handle and touch historical artifacts mm. is such a powerful experience and also, you can miss quite a lot of details, such as, you know, the quality of the paper, the texture of the paper. And, you know, and I think you really miss out on that kind of physical connection with an object. So yeah. I think if you're the same as me, there's, you know, there's no bigger thrill than actually kind of coming into contact with something that might have been printed in the time of Shakespeare or with someone's scribbles on, you know, from hundreds of years. And I did a... Um, a workshop with some tiny kids really and I was showing them the article well the notice of Blackbeard the pirate's capture in the London Gazette and it blew yeah. their mind you know being able to actually touch something that was 300 years old and I just don't think you can get that you know by having this kind of barrier and the same with yeah. digital copies as well you kind of miss that kind of real tactile experience yeah yeah yeah, it's, uh, just going back to the point that you made as well, when the, um, you know, how much damage can your hands do? You, you talked of like Civil War pamphlets and medieval illuminated manuscripts. I mean, these have survived fires, plagues, yeah. wars, floods, storms, yep. famines. Like, seriously, if you're coming in with clean hands, how much damage can you do? But if you're wearing gloves, much A more lot. likely. To Lots of yes. damage, yeah. <laughs> But the paper, the quality of paper, you'll know this as well, was yes. so much better in those days. I mean, you're much more likely a 19th century book. The paper is of such a poor quality that, but something from the 16th, 17th century has lasted so long, and it just there's nothing that makes me more sad. It could be a, a history sad podcast, you know, <laughs> to think of poor books. history sorrow. This is good. Yeah. But to think of poor books that never get read because people are too scared to handle them, you know, kind of locked away. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they'll just remain in the cupboard forever. What's the point? Yeah, exactly. They may be read. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so um, in special collections, we've already been speaking about this, but you have quite a range of really unique and interesting documents. So could you tell us a little bit more about what what you have? Gosh, I mean, where to even start? I mean, we haven't even finished cataloguing everything we've got in special collections. So really, we are discovering like new and amazing items all the time. And like I said, they date back to around the 15th century and cover all sorts of things. We've got our kind of designated collections, which, like the Got Bequest, focuses on horticulture and botanical books. We've got the Gascoigne Collection, which, you know, focuses on military and naval history. And that's a fantastic collection. And that's where some like some of my favourite books are in. But also just really amazing individual items. We've also got, I think, perhaps the weirdest collection is called the Henry Collection of Sweepiana. Do you know what Sweepiana might be? No, no. We're going to learn the yeah, sort of thing again here, aren't I'm, we? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the sweepings up of newspaper clippings or something silly like that. Was it something really serious? Or ornate brushes? No, it's going to be something really obvious. It's anything to do with chimney sweeps. Okay. Did you guess that? No. <laughs> that, that's, that sound, ladies and gentlemen, was me slapping my head in obvious <laughs> obviousness. And we okay. are some nerdy collectors. So this, so in this collection, it could be anything. It could be an image or just even the slightest mention of a chimney sweep. So the person who collected, you know, these books, I mean, it meant that, you know, we just we don't just have one copy of The Water Babies. We have 30 copies of it. So it's just like anything to do with chimney sweeps. And one of my favourite items, which I think, Paul has seen one of our events. Um, it's called Oliver Twist, and it's Twist oh, yes. spelled T W I S, and it's a pirated edition of Dickens's Oliver Twist. And there must be a chimney sweep featured in this somewhere because it's in this collection. But it's We're just, in Victorian London. Yes, so you're pretty much guaranteed that a chimney sweep's going to pop up at some point. But mm. what's so what I love about it is just the sheer just rip-offness of it all and the blatantness so it's printed at exactly the same time as Dickens's Oliver Twist and it completely undercut him so it sold for a penny a week rather than Dickens's shilling a month and it just appealed to kind of this more working class audience but you know the characters are all pretty much the same the illustrations are kind of similar but they're kind of really crude and rubbish and um, but Dickens was obviously really mad this would be his history rage i think (laughs) so he took them to courts you know because copyright wasn't as it was now but he lost because they argued that their things were so terrible that there's no way that anyone would confuse them (laughs) with dickens's actual story so they were allowed just to carry on and continue publishing these pirated editions i love the idea of almost the knockoff Dickens DVD from the, yeah. the, the car boot sale. There. And I have to say, of course, anything that annoys Charles Dickens is good in my book. Exactly, because exactly. Good God, what a, what an arse. It's just, I've never read a Dickens that I've liked, ever. Yes. We all think he's this lovely, snuggly character, but he really, really is No, he really, really isn't. It's quite nice to, like, find out that someone kind of got one up on him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. God, God, those do. Ah, because how did he write such dirge so often and get people to pay for it? 
<laughs> and still going on now. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I've, I've often said that the entire works of Dickens could be summed up with one sentence, which is small boy meets strange character and grows up to become Clark to a solicitor. There you go. That's every <laughs> Dickens novel that you ever want to read. Just right there. Guys, oh, the I Muppets can... did it best. Leave it. Anyway, this can... is not my history. I can, this I can not... hear, I can hear the complaints on. piling in already. <laughs> Sorry, think about the logistics of that for a second. Someone has rushed out and bought Oliver Twist as soon as it's come out, as soon as it's published, and gone, okay, quick, right, to put these characters in. Quick, you, do all these drawings, quick. Right, you, print it, quick, quick, quick. And all for cheaper. They must have had, like, had a yeah. bit of a head start. But, I mean, Dickens' his stuff is so kind of episodic and, mm. you know, they're the a bit kind of caricature aren't they, the characters? So it's quite easy to kind of get the gist. Yeah. Like what you said, Paul, you kind of know where Dickens is going yeah. to be going with some of these stories. Yeah. So really easy to rip them off. And the people who did it then went on to do the Penny Dreadfuls as well. So they oh, really kind of cornered yeah. this market of kind of cheap, sensational prints. But there's so much in our collections, there really is. I mean, we've got a lease of a house that's been signed by Oliver Cromwell. And even, you know, just things like that, these kind of little treasures that you find. Um, but things like diaries and scrapbooks that you can't find anywhere else. Um, yeah, yeah one-off one could... things. And you've wow. got one of the few kind of totally complete copies of the London Gazette, as I recall. Yes, so we've had, we've had an academic come in and she seemed to think that there was very few libraries that had such a complete run of the London Gazette. So we have it right back to 1665. Um, and we've got things like the Great Fire of London in there um, and all the kind of big historical events. So, yeah, we've, I mean, they are quite impressive. Even yeah, I remember you showed me once that you can, you know, if, you, if you're prepared to sit and open up all the various volumes and look through it, you can actually track the complete manhunt for Dick Turpin yes, through the and, London Gazette. And how desperate they get as the reward money gets bigger and yeah. bigger as it goes along. Yeah, until he finally like, like shoots somebody's chicken and that's, there you go. <laughs> that's, that, that'll do for you, yeah. But even things like when people's wives left them, their husbands would put notices in the Gazette to stop people giving them any credits and things like So you can trace things like you know, the history of women's rights and and people use it a lot for family history because mm-hmm. obviously all the kind of military notices get put in there as well. It's just one of those things that doesn't look amazing to look at because it's just a lot of writing, but the history in there is, you know, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, when you absolutely dig into that, there's just, you know, it is the complete history of, uh, of England from the 17th century onwards. It, it's all in there. And it's it's a staggering collection. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So kind of following on from that, if we go back to how we kind of first originally met, which is, I'm going to make it sound more romantic than that. I know, I was going to say, it's going to sound really dodgy now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you want to tell our listeners about your uh, particular speed dating event that the library <laughs> runs and has recently started to do online, guys, so- you don't want to miss this. This is just, I- I've never seen anywhere else do this style of event. So, Rianne, <laughs> tell them. So, it, the title kind of says it all. So, it's inspired by a traditional speed dating setup. So librarians from Leeds Libraries, but also we have some guests from like other heritage organisations in the city. So we each have three minutes to talk about our special item. And then it's quite strict as well. So once the bell goes off after three minutes, then the guest then moves on to the next librarian. And it's just a really kind of fast paced uh, way to really just kind of show as many different items from our collections off as possible and it's quite anarchic and crazy (laughs) (laughs) you just think I've got to try and say everything in three minutes and also us librarians are so competitive with each other because there's a bit of a vote at the end about who had the best item so we're always trying to kind of beat each other to think who's got the best stories and um, but yes like I said our last one was an online version but in the past we've done it in different pubs across the city so obviously we don't take out our rarest and most valuable items to those but I think that's more of a challenge for us because it might not be the most expensive item Mm. but it's something that really means something to us or it has a really great story and yeah yeah, usually mine things pirates or highwaymen or but it could be anything it could be a city varieties playbill for their striptease show or like a really supernatural scrapbook full of ghost stories. And yeah, it's a a really great event. But we did have a very awkward moment at one of them where two women did turn up thinking it was actual speed dating. And (laughs) they asked where all the men were. And we had to, (laughs) they were very disappointed. (laughs) You didn't point them at Josh and Anthony then and say, you know, if you're fine strapping chaps thought it was quite clear in the blurbs now we've got to have a really clear disclaimer saying this is not like a romantic event you know it's to just you know fall in love with our collections not (laughs) us please (laughs) so do you plan to do any more of these yes and will you be keeping them online or are you going to uh, bring them back to face to face or a mixture of the two we don't know exactly kind of how we're going to do them, but we're hoping to run another one as part of Leeds Lit Fest in March. Um, so please just keep an eye out for it. And yeah, if you want to know what all the fuss is about, but we want lots more people to join us. And if we do it online, then we do have that capacity. Um, but in yeah. person, it's very small and very intimate because it's literally just a one-on-one thing. So it'd be quite nice to do a bit of a mixture of the two, maybe. But you do can nearly lose your voice after doing it the same little spiel <laughs> <laughs> 15 or 20 times. Yeah, but I've seen some. I mean, I've, I've been to two and, you know, I've seen execution poster. I've seen the letters that are both signed and illustrated by Beatrix Potter that were on the previous one. Um, one of the first ever 
voters registration forms to be filled and signed by a woman you know it's just all this uh, artifacts you know and this is not just people banging on about history it it actually happened it's there and it's evidence is still still living with us today it's popping up in places where people don't expect us and you know trying to make people realize that you know rare books are for everyone or collections are for everyone and we could just be around the corner and we could bring something to you and also just the breadth like I say of, of what we actually hold and the different stories behind things what's been your favorite oh, it's always the execution poster for me I can't get past a double hanging always with the double hanging how gruesome <laughs> yep yeah but I, you know I'm a historian of crime there you go yeah so we've been talking about all these amazing artifacts and pamphlets and books that you have in Leeds Library. And they have these sort of things in libraries all over the country. So um, how can listeners use your services to engage more with history through libraries like yours? I think the first thing, just come and see us. Come into the building. If you haven't been in Central Library before, or, I mean, there's lots of similar buildings across the country. Mm. I mean, it was it's a grade two star listed building. It opened in 1884. So even just coming into the building, you can just soak up some of that Victorian history. And we have plenty of things like heritage tours if you want to find out a bit more detail about the history of the building. And I can't recommend that enough. We have lots of things online that you can access. We've got the Secret Library Leeds blog with lots of articles and information on there. And of course, the Leodis website, which has over 60,000 photographs of Leeds, which is phenomenal. And it's. Uh, I need to put a warning into our listeners there. The Leodis website is an absolute rabbit hole. You know, if you're going on it, please book an out, a, a good afternoon out of your diary because you're not coming out of it anytime soon. And we've got our playbills on there as well. So if you're interested in any sort of kind of theatre history, you can have a browse of all the theatre posters on there, like circus playbills and really weird stuff that you can have a look and come to one of our events so we do lots of talks and workshops i deliver a treasures on tour session which goes across to different areas in leeds and that's on lots of different subjects it could be on exploration cookery pirates shakespeare whatever really and i think that's my other kind of pet peeve about you know what people think of us is this idea that libraries are really quiet and we're just kind of squirreled away in the stacks. And a lot of our job is actually really quite outward facing and hopefully quite exciting and fun. Well, we think so. But yeah, and I think just get in touch with us and ask us questions. And if you're interested in a topic or a theme, then that's a really good excuse for us just to go rummaging the stacks and through the shelves. And then we can get stuff out for you. And it doesn't matter if you're in Leeds or if you're further afield we get emails from people around the world asking us about different things and it's easy enough for us to take pictures or answer inquiries and but yeah we're really friendly just ask us stuff yeah and then so the same goes for like all local libraries get in there see what exactly. they've got get involved and- because because you've got you you've got things in Leeds Central Library that the British Library doesn't have yeah, that the yeah. National Archives don't have. Yeah, and Manchester Library has stuff like that, and Birmingham Library, and Wolverhampton, and Bournemouth, and all these little local places have similar amazing pieces of history. I mean, Manchester and Birmingham libraries have phenomenal special collections. I'm so jealous because Manchester Central Library has 
two copies of the 1493 Nuremberg Chronicle. And we've got one 1497. I'm like, oh. Oh, oh you've got the diet knockoff, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, all, most libraries have really amazing collections. And I think for me is, you know, I don't own these books. These are books that belong to the public, to the people of Leeds or to the communities. And, you know, they're there for people to use. We're just guardians, I suppose, is the traditional way of talking about them. But yeah. So what does the Library and Special Collections have in store for the future? Then? Well, we're really excited because our next big exhibition is called Breaking the News. And that's in partnership with the British Library and is inspired by their big exhibition in London. And we'll be exploring the history and the future of newspapers. Um, It's a really interesting topic for us. And there's lots of scope for us to look at all our historic newspapers. And have either of you ever used our microfilm? Uh, No, at the moment, uh, my wife has. And she's going to insist that I do uh, at some point as well. At the moment, I pull my way through the British newspaper archive, which was the best £79 I ever spent. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so much scope for us to, like, really unpick some stories um, from across Yorkshire we're going to look at. And so the, kind of the themes we're kind of focusing on are things like the representation and the misrepresentation of the North in kind of Ooh. national papers. So that might be a future history rage for me. Yeah, yeah, so get angry about that. Things like the miners and dockers strikes and how they were recorded in mainstream national newspapers, um, more locally to us, the Chapel Town uprising in the 80s, um, and how different newspapers reported on different events and communities in different ways. And also, Leeds has such a strong history of radical newsprinting, so that's a focus that we're going to be looking at as well. Um, so we're really excited. There's going to be a really good programme of events to go across that exhibition time period. So it'll launch 25th of February and then carry on throughout March. So please come yeah, and see Yeah, so it. coming up soon. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and see Kyle over here is um, practically obsessed with chartists. So radicalism is going to be right up your alley. Practically? But yes, that does all. That sounds so amazing. Yeah, Chartist yes. papers are definitely going to feature. Wonderful. Um, all nice. the way up to you know today in like the Griffin newspaper of this, you know, at the University of Leeds, and what are students today writing about? What does their activism look like? Um, so yeah, really excited about that. That's, that could be that could turn into a whole exhibition of just protest alone. I know the problem is trying to kind of focus yes. it in because at the moment my long list of items is huge <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's but that's what we do as part of our exhibitions it's just trying to find that story that people are going to connect with so hopefully we'll, we'll succeed in doing that brilliant I, I do wish you luck with that thank you well thank you very much Rianne. um i can feel myself suitably chastised for book handling and glove wearing and thoroughly re-educated in that yes. fact um, if you would like to know more, then you can follow Rianne on Twitter at RianneIsaac1, or you can follow all the library staff at Leeds Libraries. And we will put links to the Secret, Li- Secret Leeds blog in the show notes and many other things that the libraries are doing. And do keep an eye out for Speed Data Library Treasure. It's an excellent way to spend an evening without the pressure to actually come away with a date. So, yeah, thank you very much for that, Rianne. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been uh, It's been great to have you. 
Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lovely time. Oh, um, I hope you've got a lot off your chest and it's somewhat cathartic <laughs> for you. Very cathartic. <laughs> Have a good night's sleep now. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at History Rage or individually. You can follow me. I'm at Paul Baffle. And I'm at Kyle G History. And you can leave comments, thoughts, and please send your own history rages because we want to know what you wish people would just stop believing. And you can use the hashtag history rage. If you've enjoyed our work, then please subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Podchaser, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really means a lot to us when you do that. Thanks very much for listening. Here's to the next season of episodes. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye.